Section 20 of Some Answered Questions by Abdul Baha, translated by Laura Clifford Barney. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 4 On the Origin, Powers, and Conditions of Man. Chapter 46 Modification of Species. We have now come to the question of the modification of species and of organic development. That is to say, to the point of inquiring whether man's descent is from the animal. This theory has found credence in the minds of some European philosophers, and it is now very difficult to make its falseness understood. But in the future it will become evident and clear, and the European philosophers will themselves realize its untruths. For verily it is an evident error, when man looks at the beings with a penetrating regard and attentively examines the condition of existences and when he sees the state the organization and the perfection of the world he will be convinced that in the possible world there is nothing more wonderful than that which already exists for all existing beings terrestrial and celestial as well as this limitless space and all that is in it we have created and organized composed arranged and perfected as they ought to be the universe has no imperfection so that if all beings became pure intelligence and reflected for ever and ever it is impossible that they could imagine anything better than that which exists if however the creation in the past had not been adorned with utmost perfection then existence would have been imperfect and meaningless and in this case creation would have been incomplete this question needs to be considered with the greatest attention and thought for example imagine that the world of possibility that is the world of existence resembles in a general way the body of man if this composition organization perfection beauty and completeness which now exist in the human body were different it would be absolute imperfection now if we imagine a time when man belonged to the animal world or when he was merely an animal we shall find that existence would have been imperfect that is to say there would have been no man and this chief member which in the body of the world is like the brain and mind in man would have been missing the world would then have been quite imperfect it is thus proved that if there had been a time when man was in the animal kingdom the perfection of existence would have been destroyed for man is the greatest member of this world and if the body was without this chief member surely it would be imperfect we consider man as the greatest member because among the creatures he is the sum of all existing perfections when we speak of man we mean the perfect one the foremost individual in the world who is the sum of spiritual and apparent perfections 
and who is like the sun among the beings. Then imagine that at one time the sun did not exist, but that it was a planet. Surely, at such a time, the relations of existence would be disordered. How can such a thing be imagined? To a man who examines the world of existence, what we have said is sufficient. There is another more subtle proof. All these endless beings which inhabit the world, whether man, animal, vegetable, mineral, whatever they may be, are surely, each one of them, composed of elements. There is no doubt that this perfection which is in all beings is caused by the creation of God from the composing elements by their appropriate mingling and proportionate quantities, the mode of their composition, and the influence of other beings. For all beings are connected together like a chain, and reciprocal help assistance and influence belonging to the properties of things are the cause of the existence development and growth of created beings it is confirmed through evidences and proofs that every being universally acts upon other beings either absolutely or through association finally the perfection of each individual being that is to say the perfection which you now see in man or apart from him with regard to their atoms members or powers is due to the composition of the elements to their measure to their balance to the mode of their combination and to mutual influence when all these are gathered together then man exists as the perfection of man is entirely due to the composition of the atoms of the elements, to their nature, to the measure of their combination, and to the mutual influence and action of the different beings, then, since man was produced ten or a hundred thousand years ago from these earthly elements with the same measure and balance, and the same method of combination and mingling, and the same influence of the other beings exactly the same man existed then as now this is evident and not worth debating a thousand million years hence if these elements of man are gathered together and arranged in this special proportion and if the elements are combined according to the same method and if they are affected by the same influence of other beings exactly the same man will exist for example if after a hundred thousand years there is oil fire a wick a lamp and a lighter of the lamp briefly if there are all these necessaries which now exist exactly the same lamp will be obtained these are conclusive and evident facts but the arguments which these european philosophers have used raise doubtful proofs and are not conclusive chapter forty seven the universe is without beginning the origin of man know that it is one of the most abstruse spiritual truths that the world of existence that is to say this endless universe has no beginning 
we have already explained that the names and attributes of the divinity themselves require the existence of beings although this subject has been explained in detail we will speak again of it briefly know that an educator without pupils cannot be imagined a monarch without subjects could not exist a master without scholars cannot be appointed a creator without a creature is impossible a provider without those provided for cannot be conceived for all the divine names and attributes demand the existence of beings if we could not imagine a time when no beings existed this imagination would be the denial of the divinity of god moreover absolute non-existence cannot become existence if the beings were absolutely non-existent existence would not have come into being therefore as the essence of unity that is the existence of god is everlasting and eternal that is to say it has neither beginning nor end it is certain that this world of existence this endless universe has neither beginning nor end yes it may be that one of the parts of the universe one of the globes for example may come into existence or may be disintegrated but the other endless globes are still existing the universe would not be disordered nor destroyed on the contrary existence is eternal and perpetual as each globe has a beginning necessarily it has an end because every composition collective or particular must of necessity be decomposed the only difference is that some are quickly decomposed and others more slowly but it is impossible that a composed thing should not eventually be decomposed it is necessary therefore that we should know what each of the important existences was in the beginning for there is no doubt that in the beginning the origin was one the origin of all numbers is one and not two then it is evident that in the beginning matter was one and that one matter appeared in different aspects in each element thus various forms were produced and these various aspects as they were produced became permanent and each element was specialized but this permanence was not definite and did not attain realization and perfect existence until after a very long time then these elements became composed and organized and combined in infinite forms or rather from the composition and combination of these elements innumerable beings appeared this composition and arrangement through the wisdom of god and his pre-existent might were produced from one natural organization which was composed and combined with the greatest strength conformably to wisdom and according to a universal law from this it is evident that it is the creation of god and is not a fortuitous composition and arrangement this is why from every natural composition a being can come into existence but from an accidental composition no being 
can come into existence. For example, if a man of his own mind and intelligence collects some elements and combines them, a living being will not be brought into existence, since the system is unnatural. This is the answer to the implied question, that, since beings are made by the composition and the combination of elements, why is it not possible for us to gather elements and mingle them together, and so create a living being? This is a false supposition, for the origin of this composition is from God. It is God who makes the combination, and it is done according to the natural system. From each composition one being is produced, and an existence is realized. A composition made by man produces nothing, because man cannot create. Briefly, we have said that from the composition and combination of elements, from their decomposition, from their measure, and from the effect of other beings upon them, resulted forms, endless realities, and innumerable beings. But it is clear that this terrestrial globe in its present form did not come into existence all at once, but that this universal existence gradually passed through different phases until it became adorned with its present perfection. Universal beings resemble and can be compared to particular beings, for both are subjected to one natural system, one universal law, and divine organization. So you will find the smallest atoms in the universal system are similar to the greatest beings of the universe. It is clear that they come into existence from one laboratory of might under one natural system and one universal law. Therefore, they may be compared to one another. Thus, the embryo of man in the womb of the mother gradually grows and develops. It appears in different forms and conditions, until, in the degree of perfect beauty, it reaches maturity, and appears in a perfect form with the utmost grace. And in the same way, the seed of this flower which you see was in the beginning an insignificant thing, and very small, and it grew and developed in the womb of the earth and after appearing in various forms, came forth in this condition with perfect freshness and grace. In the same manner, it is evident that this terrestrial globe, having once found existence, grew and developed in the matrix of the universe, and came forth in different forms and conditions, until gradually it attained this present perfection, and became adorned with innumerable beings and appeared as a finished organization. Then it is clear that original matter, which is in the embryonic state, and the mingled and composed elements which were its earliest forms, gradually grew and developed during many ages and cycles, passing from one shape and form to another, until they appeared in this perfection, this system, this organization and this establishment, through the supreme wisdom of God. Let us return to our subject, that man, in the beginning of his existence, and in the womb of the earth, 
like the embryo in the womb of the mother, gradually grew and developed, and passed from one form to another, from one shape to another, until he appeared with this beauty and perfection, this force and this power. It is certain that in the beginning he had not this loveliness and grace and elegance, and that he only by degrees attained this shape, this form, this beauty, and this grace. There is no doubt that the human embryo did not at once appear in this form. Neither did it then become the manifestation of the words, Praise be unto God, the best of creators. Gradually, it passed through various conditions and different shapes, until it attained this form and beauty, this perfection, grace, and loveliness. Thus it is evident and confirmed that the development and growth of man on this earth, until he reached this present perfection, resembled the growth and development of the embryo in the womb of the mother. By degrees it passed from condition to condition, from form to form, from one shape to another, and this is according to the requirement of the universal system and divine law. That is to say, the embryo passes through different states and traverses numerous degrees, until it reaches the form in which it manifests the words, Praise be to God, the best of creators, and until the signs of reason and maturity appear. And in the same way, Man's existence on this earth, from the beginning until it reaches this state, form, and condition, necessarily lasts a long time, and goes through many degrees until it reaches this condition. But from the beginning of man's existence, he is a distinct species. In the same way, the embryo of man in the womb of the mother was at first in a strange form. Then this body passes from shape to shape, from state to state, from form to form, until it appears in utmost beauty and perfection. But even when in the womb of the mother, and in this strange form, entirely different from his present form and figure, he is the embryo of the superior species, and not of the animal. His species and essence undergo no change. Now admitting that the traces of organs which have disappeared actually exist, this is not a proof of the impermanence and the non-originality of the species. At the most, it proves that the form and fashion and the organs of man have progressed. Man was always a distinct species, a man, not an animal. So, if the embryo of man in the womb of the mother passes from one form to another, so that the second form in no way resembles the first, is this a proof that the species has changed, that it was at first an animal, and that its organs progressed and developed until it became a man? No, indeed. How puerile and unfounded is this idea and this thought! For the proof of the originality of the human species, and of the permanency of the nature of man, is clear and evident. 
Chapter 48. The Difference Which Exists Between Man and the Animal. Already we have talked once or twice on the subject of the spirit, but our words have not been written down. Know that people belong to two categories, that is to say, they constitute two parties. One party deny the spirit, and say that man also is a species of animal. For they say, do we not see that animals and men share the same powers and senses? These simple, single elements which fill space are endlessly combined, and form each of these combinations, one from the beings is produced. Among these beings is the possessor of spirit, of the powers and of the senses. The more perfect the combination, the nobler is the being. The combination of the elements in the body of man is more perfect than the composition of any other being. It is mingled in absolute equilibrium. Therefore, it is more noble and more perfect. It is not, they say, that he has a special power and spirit which the other animals lack. Animals possess sensitive bodies, but man in some powers has more sensation, although in what concerns the outer senses, such as hearing, sight, taste, smell, touch, and even in some interior powers, like memory, the animal is more richly endowed than man. The animal, too, they say, has intelligence and perception. All that they concede is that man's intelligence is greater. This is what the philosophers of the present state, this is their saying, this is their supposition, and thus their imagination decrees. So with powerful arguments and proofs, they make the descent of man go back to the animal, and say that there was once a time when man was an animal, that then the species changed and progressed little by little until it reached the present status of man. But the theologians say, no, this is not so. Though man has powers and outer senses in common with the animal, yet an extraordinary power exists in him of which the animal is bereft. The sciences, arts, inventions, trades, and discoveries of realities are the results of this spiritual power. This is a power which encompasses all things, comprehends their realities, discovers all the hidden mysteries of beings, and through this knowledge controls them. It even perceives things which do not exist outwardly, that is to say, intellectual realities which are not sensible, and which have no outward existence, because they are invisible. So it comprehends the mind, the spirit, the qualities, the characters, the love and sorrow of man, which are intellectual realities. Moreover, these existing sciences, arts, laws, and endless inventions of man, at one time were invisible, mysterious, and hidden secrets. It is only the all-encompassing human power which has discovered and brought them out from the plane of the invisible to the plane of the visible. So telegraphy, 
photography, phonography, and all such inventions and wonderful arts, were at one time hidden mysteries. The human reality discovered and brought them out from the plane of the invisible to the plane of the visible. There was even a time when the qualities of this iron which you see, indeed of all the metals, were hidden mysteries. Men discovered this metal and wrought it in this industrial form. It is the same with all the other discoveries and inventions of man, which are innumerable. This we cannot deny. If we say that these are effects of powers which animals also have, and of the powers of the bodily senses, we see clearly and evidently that the animals are, in regard to these powers, superior to man. For example, the sight of animals is much more keen than the sight of man. So also is their power of smell and taste. Briefly, in the powers which animals and men have in common, the animal is often the more powerful. For example, let us take the power of memory. If you carry a pigeon from here to a distant country, and there set it free, it will return, for it remembers the way. Take a dog from here to the center of Asia, set him free, and he will come back here and never once lose the road. So it is with the other powers, such as hearing, sight, smell, taste, and touch. Thus it is clear that if there were not, in man, a power different from any of those of the animals, the latter would be superior to man in inventions and the comprehension of realities. Therefore it is evident that man has a gift which the animal does not possess. Now the animal perceives sensible things, but does not perceive intellectual realities. For example, that which is within the range of its vision, the animal sees. But that which is beyond the range of sight, it is not possible for it to perceive, and it cannot imagine it. So it is not possible for the animal to understand that the earth has the form of a globe. But man from known things proves unknown things, and discovers unknown truths. For example, man sees the curve of the horizon, and from this he infers the roundness of the earth. The pole star at Akka, for instance, is at 33 degrees. That is to say, it is 33 degrees above the horizon. When a man goes toward the North Pole, the pole star rises one degree above the horizon, for each degree of distance that he travels. That is to say, the altitude of the pole star will be at 34 degrees, then 40 degrees, then 50 degrees, then 60 degrees, then 70 degrees. If he reaches the North Pole, the altitude of the pole star will be 90 degrees, or have attained the zenith. That is to say, will be directly overhead. This pole star and its ascension are sensible things. The further one goes toward the pole, the higher the pole star rises. From these two known truths, an unknown thing has been discovered, that is, that the horizon is curved, meaning 
that the horizon of each degree of the earth is a different horizon from that of another degree man perceives this and proves from it an invisible thing which is the roundness of the earth this it is impossible for the animal to perceive in the same way it cannot understand that the sun is the center and that the earth revolves around it the animal is the captive of the senses and bound by them all that is beyond the senses the things that they do not control the animal can never understand although in the outer senses it is greater than man hence it is proved and verified that in man there is the power of discovery by which he is distinguished from the animals and this is the spirit of man praise be to god man is always turned towards the heights and his aspiration is lofty he always desires to reach a greater world than the world in which he is and to mount to a higher sphere than that in which he is the love of exaltation is one of the characteristics of man i am astonished that certain philosophers of america and europe are content to gradually approach the animal world and so to go backwards for the tendency of existence must be towards exaltation nevertheless if you said to one of them you are an animal he would be extremely hurt and angry what a difference between the human world and the world of the animal between the elevation of man and the abasement of the animal between the perfections of man and the ignorance of the animal between the light of man and the darkness of the animal between the glory of man and the degradation of the animal an arab child of ten years can manage two or three hundred camels in the desert and with his voice can lead them forward or turn them back a weak hindu can so control a huge elephant that the elephant becomes the most obedient of servants all things are subdued by the hand of man he can resist nature while all other creatures are captives of nature none can depart from her requirements man alone can resist nature nature attracts bodies to the centre of the earth man through mechanical means goes far from it and soars in the air nature prevents man from crossing the seas man builds a ship and he travels and voyages across the great ocean and so on the subject is endless for example man drives engines over the mountains and through the wildernesses and gathers in one spot the news of the events of the east and west all this is contrary to nature the sea with its grandeur cannot deviate by an atom from the laws of nature the sun in all its magnificence cannot deviate as much as a needle's point from the laws of nature and can never comprehend the conditions the state the qualities the movements and the nature of man what then is the power in this small body of man 
which encompasses all things what is this ruling power by which he subdues all things one more point remains modern philosophers say we have never seen the spirit in man and in spite of our researches into the secrets of the human body we do not perceive a spiritual power how can we imagine a power which is not sensible the theologians reply the spirit of the animal also is not sensible and through its bodily powers it cannot be perceived by what do you prove the existence of the spirit of the animal there is no doubt that from its effects you prove that in the animal there is a power which is not in the plant and this is the power of the senses that is to say sight hearing and also the other powers from these you infer that there is an animal spirit in the same way from the proofs and signs we have mentioned we argue that there is a human spirit since in the animal there are signs which are not in the plant you say this power of sensation is a property of the animal spirit you also see in man signs powers and perfections which do not exist in the animal therefore you infer that there is a power in him which the animal is without if we wish to deny everything that is not sensible then we must deny the realities which unquestionably exist for example ethereal matter is not sensible though it has an undoubted existence the power of attraction is not sensible though it certainly exists from what do we affirm these existences from their signs thus this light is the vibration of that ethereal matter and from this vibration we infer the existence of ether End of section 20